Now listen, this is what you gotta do. You gotta make sure, Wendy, that Moolah does not grab your hair. Because you know she likes to do that, she always cheats. block everything. That's right, now keep your trunk strong. Remember, we come from our stomachs. Always keep your trunk strong. And, and this time, we're gonna go in there, we're gonna win. You're gonna get that, you're gonna use the bad principle. Beaten, annihilated, and destroyed. That's right. I'm Hulk Hogan, and I won't be alone tonight when I defend my world championship title against Cowboy Bob Orton because my main man, Mr. T, brother, is going to be in my corner. That's right, Hulk, baby. And if that fool, Roddy Roddy Piper, step his nose in the ring, he's going to answer to me. I pity that fool. <laughs> you know, I pity that fool, too. So kick back and relax for Saturday night's main event. Saturday night's main event then. <laughs> do you know what I really want them to do on um on the WWE network though? I want them to have a section dedicated to their adverts. Mm. So like body slams, diet suplexes, you know, the you know, the old Coliseum home video or the Silver Vision actually, wasn't it? Silver Vision home video um package or you know, the 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 the, the race, my sacrifice video or the, the design oh. and stuff. I'd love they should just have a section on the network dedicated to that. Oh, I think the problem with, I mean, especially with the My Sacrifice thing, is all the licensing they'd have to do. Mm, well, do you know what? I don't care. That's not my problem. <laughs> well, no, but that's why they haven't got them. So it is your problem, because they haven't got them. <laughs> oh, go find them on YouTube. Side suplexes. Side suplexes. Amazing. And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today we go further back in history than we've gone yet, as we're taking a look at the very first Saturday Night's main event from all the way back in May of 1985. Joining me for the pod today, as he is each and every week, is Sam Carey, a man who is hoping that things can only get better as far as his reputation goes, following last week's revelations about an inappropriate relationship he's been conducting over the past 30 years with a cuddly toy. Old man, how are you today? Well, I'm good. Me and me, Teddy, have had a nice morning just walking around in the garden. It's been absolutely lovely. I'm, I'm glad to be back again. Teddy is sleeping, so we'll have to keep the noise down a little bit. But yeah, it's nice to be back home with WWF and my teddy bear. Lovely stuff. And also to provide his own unique insight is a man who stings like a butterfly and flies like a bee. Ineffectually, inefficiently, but beautiful all the same is Tom Smith. 
Thank you very much. That's a nice intro. Kind of the opposite of Muhammad Ali, which is, you know, something I try to do. So I will go to war with a country that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> very exciting. Um, yes, yeah, so today we are going to be looking at Saturday night's main event, the very first ever Saturday night's main event, the, the uh, program in many ways that took WWE really, really national and um, sort of set them in motion to take over the wrestling world. Uh, before we get started properly, a little nudge in the direction of our social media channels. You can find us in all the normal places at RWRPod UK. We've also put together a lovely playlist on Spotify for you to enjoy entitled That's What I Call Wrestling and featuring 40 songs that have been mentioned, sung, talked about or hinted at during past episodes of this very podcast. So do we want to go straight into it today? It sounds like we're uh, we're kind of we're kicking back. We're we're excited and, and relaxed about the journey we're about to go on, which is interesting. Um, I'm sure we'll find out exactly what that means. Let's start with our expectations going in then. Oh, man, let's start with you. It's an interesting one, this, because I often find the first of a TV show in like not as in like the first episode of like Frasier or something like that, but like the first episode of like a sports program now sometimes a little bit ropey a bit rough in places so when i sat down to watch it i was reminded of the many times that i've eaten an underripe banana where you kind of like you'll get through it but you hope that it is a weird tasting and a bit of a struggle to get through but you'll get through it at the end and you'll probably feel better for it at the end and you'll probably have a cracking shit as well <laughs> So your expectations for this is going to be a bit like an unripe banana. Yes. Lovely stuff. Tom, your expectations. Reasonably high. Uh, this isn't quite at the, uh, the Cinderella moment or whatever it was that you were talking about, Tinky. Um, <laughs> no, the Goldilocks. Goldilocks, isn't it? The Go- I know it's a Disney princess. The Goldilocks thing. You said there's something about habitable planets in space or something like yeah, that. So the Goldilocks, the Goldilocks zone is where yes. the where habitable planets are potentially going to be because of their relative distance to the sun that they that they orbit around. Kind of like whales. Uh, how? How is it like whales? If you've been to Wales, you know it's a different planet, mate. <laughs> okay. Tom, sorry. Um, I, um, I, I'm Goldilocks, so I'm kind of having a little saunter through the enchanted forest or whatever. And I've got to the bowl of porridge that's just a little bit too cold. I've had the first one that's too hot. Ah! Uh, uh, horrible. I've had the second one too cold. Mm, it's all right, but it could be better. I know the third one's going to be banging, and that's where I am now. So I know it's about to get amazing. Right, I see. You, you've not really mastered that analogy, I don't think, Tom, if I'm perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I, think, I think you'll find I have. I'll tell you what, right? I bloody so, have. If we can uh, stay with Goldilocks for a minute. We, we can. I haven't uh, I heard this story for a while. I'm not sure it's true either. But um, does she eat like a significant portion of the two bowls before she then eats the one that she enjoys? I think she just tastes them. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, she must be very full. She's quite a small lady as well in some of the like pictures that I've seen of her pictures, drawings of her. I, mean, I don't <laughs> the think there's any like of... pictures of Goldilocks in in the in the Netflix true crime documentary. What's the Goldilocks? <laughs> Twelve parts, yeah. and the first part is all about her entry into the house in the first place. Yeah, and the, the, the there's there's a, a real lull in the middle where she's looking for beds after having eaten the porridge. <laughs> Three parts. 
just walking around the house looking for beds. That's how they really fucking overact the pudding, don't they? Netflix with these fucking true crime documentaries. They're always far too long. But anyway, going back to going back to the gold locks of it all, I think the bears come back and all of the porridge is eaten. That's what I, thought, I think as well. I thought it was just that the middling porridge has been eaten, but they also have noted that there's been stuff eaten from the other two. Right. Mm. I mean, I don't okay. know why the porridge is laid out whilst they're not there, to be honest. Uh, and why are there such conflicting temperatures? <laughs> this well, is so one's for a daddy bear, one's for a mummy bear, and one's for a kid bear. One's for a brat bear, because he ain't... I'll tell you what, that small bear ain't as good as my bear. <laughs> Fuck you. So anyway, the Goldilocks, going back to the Goldilocks zone, it very much goes into that. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just right for life to exist. And that's the idea behind the Goldilocks zone. Let's get away from the Goldilocks zone. Let me give you my expectations for the show. I wasn't expecting too much. We saw Saturday night's main event, what was it, 15 or 18 or something earlier back in February. And um, that was a good show. It was perfectly reasonable, perfectly enjoyable. And I was expecting something relatively similar to that. Um, Although, obviously, having seen the WrestleManias of the corresponding times as well, thinking this might be a little bit more, um, a little bit less impressive. There might be a little bit less going on from an in-ring standpoint. But uh, that was just my kind of thoughts going in. It's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, That kind of snuck into my mind as well. In that it obviously comes after WrestleMania 1, which is, for all sense and purposes, a big steaming pile of turd. After Goldilocks has had all that porridge, she did the turd that was WrestleMania 1. So, Thomas, have we got any news on Goldilocks? Yes, I do. So, um, the original story was actually about an old woman. She has been sent out by her family because she is a disgrace to them. She is impudent, bad, foul-mannered, ugly, dirty and a vagrant, deserving of a stint in the House of Correction. Lovely. It was then it was then amended to uh, be a young girl and a family to make it a bit more wholesome. But I just I just find that quite interesting. And basically, she she doesn't. All she does is eats the uh, the, the the wee bears uh, food, and then um, when they find her, she jumps out the window and is never seen again. Where why has she never been seen before? Uh, seen again? What have they done to her? She's quite old by the sound of it. Probably full of porridge. She probably rolled an ankle and died in a ditch. Well, I know, but not not the not the um not the revised version though. She's a, she's a young girl, and all we've got is the story that the bears have given us about what her fate was. That she was never seen again. How do we know? I'm not so sure it's, that the baby faces of this um story mm, aren't in fact the heels. It's a tough one, isn't it? I t- who who wrote the story originally, Tom? So the original story is written by someone called Robert Southey. Classic selfie, that is. But then it was um, uh, 12 years later after the publication, uh, Joseph Cundle transformed the antagonist from an ugly woman to a pretty little girl. Mm. He explained his reasons for doing so. Um, I am a massive pervert. Ah. <laughs> and, my, and, my, uh, and my inspiration was Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got a fetish for bears eating girls. It's very specific. <laughs> okay, let's let's quickly get away from Goldilocks and the Three Bears as as fast as we can. So let's go into Saturday night's main event. We have got the show beginning with Cindy Lauper telling Wendy Richter to watch out for the fabulous Mula grabbing her hair in their match that's coming later in the show. Um, I don't know how we want to do this because there's lots of short promos and little bits and pieces. I don't know if you. I'll tell you what. I will go through the first two or three of these things and then i'll say pick out what you want to pick out from these things so Mm -hmm. then 
After that, there's a promo by Hulk Hogan and Mr. T ahead of Hogan's match with Bob Orton for the WWE title. And we also get some uh, comments from Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura about uh, what's coming up in the show. Um, Tom, anything you want to pick out from those things? A couple of things. First of all, um, the Saturday Night's main event music just gives me life. It's an elixir to me. It is oh, so good. I love it. And in the opening credits, um, obviously, so we spoke about the opening credits as a really crap long elbow drop by uh, Greg Valentine when we, when we <laughs> yeah. did 15. Um, there's also, you know, lots of other hard-hitting action, but there isn't that much to show in it. So it's mainly just, again, pictures of, you know, the protagonists and antagonists in this in this card. What highlight in it is a fabulous movie who drop kicks a referee in the opening credits. <laughs> yeah. And he is absolutely flying. It's tremendous. Also, before we get to Vince and Jesse, as they're doing their welcome, we discussed the other week when we talked about Springs, or was it Slambury, whatever, one of the WCW ones, when uh, about Big Boss Man's change of character to the Guardian Angel. Mm-hmm. There is a Guardian, a legit Guardian Angel in the crowd as well. With the red beret, the t-shirt on, the braces, everything. Just oh, in the sorry. crowd. Which I was like, hello, there he is. The Guardian Angel. Yes, it's a tremendous stuff. At this point, I'm ready. I'm, I'm strapped in. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, there was a, quite a good bit at the beginning when they do the Vince McMahon um, intro. Uh, and Jess, once, as, as expected, Jesse's get up is, is absolutely phenomenal but um they talk they start talking about the matches and uh jesse ventura forgets junkyard dog's name which was quite adorable he's like, he's like and let's not forget we've got uh uh, uh and goes, junkyard dog jesse and he goes yeah he's gonna fight some fucking dickhead later on it's amazing <laughs> I've got some news on the music for you, Tom. Mm. Um, so the music itself, the music you hear on the network, isn't the Saturday night's main event music. Um, really? It's just what they've, yeah, it's just what they've piped over the old music, which was actually a song called Obsession by Animotion. Don't know anything about it. May give it a listen after the show. Um, and their closing theme was Take Me Home by Phil Collins. Apparently on the original. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. They, uh, they had a bit of a thing for Phil Collins back at this time because wasn't the song. The original theme for WrestleMania or WrestleMania 2 is supposed to be Easy Lover. It was, yeah, Easy Lover. It was, like, it was oh WrestleMania. Oh my God. That <laughs> is incredible. We've discussed some lovely stuff on this pod. That is the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> Me knowing that. That's made my week. Has there ever been has there ever been a pop star less pop starish than Phil Collins? Like there is literally nothing mm. about it. <laughs> There's, do you know what? There's a bit of a funny crossover because isn't um, Ultimate Warrior in the Two Hearts music video as well? Possibly. Two hearts living in just one mind. Like, I'm pretty sure that there's a music video where he's getting beaten up by the Ultimate Warrior. You might be right. Unfortunately, you singing the song didn't evoke the images of the video, so I couldn't. it didn't remind me whether a warrior was in it or not. But you might no, be right. Pr- I'm almost 100% certain that is because I like a bit of Phil Collins. My uh, our buddy, I've met you haven't met him, I think, but our buddy uh, Mario went to watch Phil Collins in uh, in Paris on his own, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and when he did, I think when he did in the air tonight, he had a little cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, old man, anything, any thoughts on these first three bits? Mr. T is got like this bendy bar thing that he won't stop bending, which I found very annoying. To us. And there is an overweight man in a leotard walking in the background when Hogan and Mr. T are there. He was evidently just at a match. And we've we've forgotten the main thing of the whole show because they are at pains to point out that this is the day before Mother's Day. And Cindy Lopez got a bloody Mother's Day surprise. Obviously, it builds to what this Mother's Day surprise is. 
But who the fuck? Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck if it's Mother's Day? Who gives a fuck? And also, what if you're sat there? You're sat down there with your mum and dad. You're having a lovely old time. Come on. Come on. Come on, kid. Come and have a sit down, little Keith. Come on, lad. And he's sitting down. And then he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh there we go. There we go. Cindy Lauper's Mother's Day surprise. And he, Keith sat there. He's like, oh, fuck. It's Mother's Day tomorrow. I haven't got me mum a card. I haven't bought her a bounty or anything. Well, let's let's be honest. If Show's ruined. If you're relying on WWE to keep you informed on current events, then you're fucked from the get-go, aren't you? Let's be honest. Well, at least point out that in this, uh, in this scenario, this is Keith's fault. He's let himself down. He's let his mum down. But his enjoyment of the show would have been ruined by being reminded, well, being informed that it's Mother's Day because he, it's too late. He can't do anything. Also, I don't really get it. Who gives a fuck? All right, man. All right, old man. We know you don't like mothers, apparently. This is like clear. I love, <laughs> I love mothers. I don't think you're going into the show with the right attitude. No, I, I, I agree. Well, let's, let's wait and see, because something's about to happen that's going to get the old uh, juices flowing. Oh, is it ever? So before the first match of the night, we have a promo which features the US Express of uh, Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda uh, and their tag team partner for the night, Ricky Steamboat, as they get set to face the team of Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov and George the Animal Steel. Uh, any thoughts on the promo? Uh, only that it was, this is what I quite liked about this show in general. There is a, uh, uh, it's a, for me, it's like a changing of the guard almost going across throughout the show between the the people that I'm aware of, such as, you know, um, Classy Freddy Blasser, who manages the, the Bally's team, and obviously obviously Captain Lou Albano, who manages the, the baby faces. Um, but there's there's that, but between the people that I love but the, and the predecessors before them, so it's quite a nice little crossover there. Um, Ricky Steamboat shit. <laughs> and he's wearing in this particular uh, event he's wearing a lovely american flag design which is to match his team partners the u.s express and he's got a, a flowered necklace thing don't they? i don't know what they're called but a hawaiian kind of flower uh, a lay flowered. a lay he's wearing a lay yeah. as well um, that, that is the most interesting thing that he's ever done <laughs> <laughs> the main note i have is barry windham's hair is phenomenal I mean, it's 1985, so I was expecting some great hair, but it's so straight. It must have taken about a month to straighten that hair, I think. And um, Wyndham, so I was having a little think. Was he the lad who did the new blackjacks with Bradshaw? Yes, like he was. Ten years, ten years later, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he had dark hair then, I think. Possibly? No, I don't know. No, he no. Didn't. No, I think I'm losing me mind, lads. Yeah, I think you are. I think you are. You've, got, yeah. you've, got, you've had a right proper go about Mother's Day. You've, you've no. been all, <laughs> all up. Poor Keith. <laughs> um, also, can we just draw attention to this? Now, you know, I have always been a big fan of Mean Gene, but as we're watching him across the decades in uh, in this, that you kind of, I've really grown to, to grow a real appreciation of just how amazing he is as, as an interviewer and how he brings his own personality, yet allows the other people to shine, but just his little looks off the camera and him trying to interrupt and stuff like that really does does tell a story within a promo. His comb-over, or his attempted comb-over in this phase, is truly impressive as well. Because it's not immediately obvious. Because he's so good at his job that you don't even notice it. <laughs> but watch this again, if you feel like it. 
And take note of his little comb over because it's pretty impressive. And it's the only time I remember him actually having a comb over. So we then go into the match. Six man tag, Ricky Steamboat and the US Express against George Steele and um, Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik. The babyface take the win when after six and a half minutes, George Steele attempts to tag one of his partners. But both of them refuse. And this allows Barry Windham to roll him up from behind with the schoolboy pin for the victory. Old man, thoughts on the match? Well, obviously, we get to hear Volkov sing which is tremendous. He sings the uh, the Soviet anthem, which I always hope, because his voice is absolutely horrendous. But it's brilliant. <laughs> and Freddie Blassie is doing some great work. His trousers are like gold, sequined. The All-American team have got a great entrance song, which may be piped in. I'm not sure, because there seems to be a lot of that. There's a great, great bit of creeding by the uh, singer. And I, I enjoyed seeing Iron Sheik have to do everything in the match for his team because he is apparently the only one who can do anything I think apart from get rolled up which obviously old old, old animal still gets and I enjoyed the triple high five at the start by the All-American team. On the music the music is piped in because they used to come out to Real American. Yeah so we've discussed this oh, we've yes. previously. but that being said born free in the <laughs> USA I'm proud to be American-made, is how it goes. And it's <laughs> tremendous. And then that sent me down a rabbit hole while I listened to American-made, Hulk Hogan's WCW music. And as suspected, as I said last week, it is an absolute banger. I haven't got much to say about this match, but one thing I've got to say, before the match happens, side in the crowd, Mike Rotundo all the way for the USA. Yes. Big cardboard sign up there, which I loved. Finally. And how are you feeling about the return of Mike Rotundo? We haven't had him for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. I had a little cry. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, I saw him coming out. I had a little cry. Um, I like the fact that, and I think Vince Mann did this before as well. I'm pretty sure that Gorilla Monsoon has, but he called the uh, Ricky Steamboat Steamer. It is a fucking steamer, I'll tell you that much. The uh, the bit that I the bit that I liked about it, whilst I was watching this match, um, there's a couple of things. How many times does Nikolai Volkov get rolled up into the ropes? That was about three times. He gets to predicting predicaments where he's literally in the roots. And I love, I mean, we, we, I will fucking wax lyrical about Jesse Ventura on commentary, but I love, he's not fully heel in this one, I didn't think as much, um, but he's still slightly heel leaning. And I love how he gives credits to the babyface for their teamwork. Because, mm. you know what I mean? Because they, they come across as like a proper tag team in it, whereas I know obviously Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik were a tag team. Um, but they've just got George Animal still. And it's just, I really like the way that he gives, even though he's a heel commentator, although, as I said, it's dialed back a little bit in this one, he gives the big pieces their credit for being good wrestlers. I wonder if the Jesse Ventura's heel commentary being dialed back a bit is because they're on NBC. And there's a, maybe. there's maybe a, just a feeling that it makes less sense for him to be too heelish. This is, and if actually, if you, when you, I don't, I don't want to go into the overall of it all, but if you go into the show, it's very babyface centric. It's very, very babyface centric. And that kind of leads me well into what this match is like, because it's basically the babyface is beating up on the heels for the entire six minutes. There is no there is no offense that the heels get in whatsoever. It's all babyface shine. And the thing you were talking about with the, the commentary and him talking about the team uh, work between the two uh, the difference in the teamwork between the two teams actually feeds into the end and the the reason for this match to even take place, which is ultimately to turn George the Animal Steel face. 
um, because obviously his partners walk out on him uh, when he tags in. So that's the other reason why Iron Sheik does the vast majority of the work is because they don't want to tag George Steele in because they have that thing at the end where he mm. is supposed to come in and then they turn on him. And yeah, so after, as I say, after the match, Sheik and Volkov uh, tried to attack Steele, um, but he manages to run them off. Um, and then Lou Albano jumps in the ring and tries to calm him down. It was a, it was just a really strange match, very babyface centric. And then, as I say, uh, turning George Steele babyface as well. Uh, this is kind of interesting as well from the perspective of there is kind of a three pronged uh, attraction or maybe a four pronged attraction, I should say, to WWF at the time. The, the first one being Hogan, the second one being the 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 Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper connection. And the third one being the tag team division in the US Express <coughs> and, and Volkov and Iron Sheik. And the fact that they that's why they afforded them actual music to come in with because they were part of the main part of the attraction of the show at the time and the fourth prong i was thinking of was andre, andre the giant but obviously he's not on this particular um and this particular event after the match uh gene oakland uh, catches the heels as they're walking to the back they ask why they did what they did in terms of uh, not kind of tagging in when Steele asked them to Blassie says that Steele is a fruitcake and tagged himself <laughs> in when he wasn't supposed to George Steele and Lou Albano are then passing and they kind of almost get into another scrap but they're separated by the managers uh oh man any thoughts on the promo just the only note that I have you you've covered my favorite bit which is the fruitcake bit and yeah. uh is I love the fact that it's obviously in a crowd so they they do this like in the future way Gene kind of like grabs people as they're walking past. I just love that they cut to Gene and he's just like, oh, they're, oh, they're coming up. I'm going to have a chat with them. It felt very organic mm. and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I just uh, one note on the match I forgot to add was that Iron Sheik tries to put Mike Rotunda in an abdominal stretch. But Iron Sheik is too short, so his <laughs> feet don't touch the floor, so he can't lock it in. Poor old shaky baby. Yeah, I believe the quote is, he's as crazy as a fruitcake, which made me, made me think, like, and I don't like fruitcake. I bloody do. Yeah. I bloody but love I mean, fruitcake. Do you guys ever eat that and think, God, this is crazy? This <laughs> <laughs> it's fruitcake reminds me of Georgie Animal Steel. <laughs> Regularly, and I certainly yeah. will the next time I have one. That's for certain. What old man was saying about the um, the fact that me and Jean's kind of just stood there, like, near the entranceway, I, I guess. Again, it feels it feels different because that's how it is at WrestleMania One, isn't it? As well, I believe that's how all the backstage segments are done at WrestleMania One. I think I, I and, don't know that there are backstage segments at WrestleMania One, or at least in the way it's presented on the DVD I had and on the network version. Maybe it's at two that I don't know. They're, they're definitely because I've seen that sort of thing happen, and I'd never seen this before. The Saturday main event. The other thing that's very noticeable about this is that you can see they're kind of feeling their way into their, their elements of it that that feel very WWE in terms of its WWF even in terms of its production but there's still like an element of like the territories about it like the way the car the crowd's darkly lit do you know what I mean and and you know like those sorts of things like the 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 stairs on the end of the ring on the edge as you get into the ring it's like rickety old wooden ones not the you know the, the corner like metallic ones that you that you've seen for, for a long time and they're they're slowly kind of feeling their way to becoming what they actually ended up becoming probably as a result of this show actually and the national exposure it got i wonder if they looked and thought this is going across the entire country 
it needs to look better than everything else. I'm sure it was just more a, a natural evolution of making the show better and better as they went. I like the Gene Oakland thing being at the end, uh, the entrance way, and I think that they should have that more, and and even now because it's a much more, as old man said, a much more organic way of having backstage promos like it makes much more sense to me for somebody to be catching wrestlers on the way back after the matches than it does having them kind of just arrive in this kind of indiscriminate backstage area which you've no idea where they are in front of us where there's a screen and there's a guy hooked up to a, a microphone and a, a static camera that just it just it just feels better and i think it would all wrestling would be improved by having something like this well think about any post any any sport exactly Okay, so then we have um, Piper's Pit. So I'm going to try and... Okay, there's, there's a lot to talk about here, even though it doesn't last that long. Um, there's a lot to talk about. It's with Paul Orndorff, and the main topic of discussion is the fact that Paul Orndorff was the man who took the pin at WrestleMania. Orndorff and Piper go back and forth quite a bit with insults. I'm going to leave all of the detail to you guys because... As I say, there's, there's there's bits and pieces here that I'm sure you'll want to pull out. And then they get into a little bit of a kind of confrontation and Piper and Orn attack Orndorff. Um, however, Mr. T comes out then and helps Orndorff and they kind of see the, the heels off. Uh, who wants to go first? First of all, what really struck me is Paul Orndorff's tiny shorts that he's wearing <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like, what are you wearing? He looks nuts. A couple of notes, right? So first of all, Orndorff calls Randy Orton's dad, Bob Orton, a dunce, which really chuckle. He's like, get, get in the corner, you dunce. Which really chuckle. Piper then goes, come on, sit down, sit down. And he keeps constantly, constantly trying to encourage him to sit down through the entire scene. And then Orndorff goes, ladies first, because he's wearing yeah. a skirt, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they then sit down very closely together. <laughs> <laughs> they're like touching knees it's it's really odd they then stand they then stand up again after a heated argument and then piper's like sit down sit down and piper sits down and he's trying to get order to sit down he goes sit down come on the woman sat down you sit down Which means, <laughs> piper is then accused of drinking too much of his own bath water <laughs> which is a great insult oh that's and great great stuff and throughout this entire, entire process, Paul Orndorff's hair does not move in the slightest. It's like Ted Danson's hair in Cheers. It just doesn't, it just doesn't move in the slightest. And then it all kind of, as he said, it all gets into a bit of a kerfuffle. And the highlight of the entire segment is that Paul Orndorff gets Ronnie Piper in a pile driver. His kilt lifts up and you see his wife runs. <laughs> Loved it. The entire See, segment was phenomenal. So you've done it much, much more justice than I would have done if I'd have tried to uh, to describe any of it. The thing is, is everything that Thomas said is correct, but it's so crap. It's so crap and so badly done that without, like, they're obviously ad-libbing, I think, like Piper and uh, Orndorff in particular, because I find it hard to believe that he was fed the line that Tom said, you've been drinking too much of your bath water, Piper. I don't even know what that means. Literally got no idea what that means. And I've never drunk any bath water, so I don't know what it does to you. The main point I've got is when Mr. T comes down for the save, he's still carrying that bendy thing that he had in the promo with Hogan. I was like, just 
Put it down, mate. <laughs> your, your arms are big enough. Don't worry. You don't need to do that. And and obviously, then it got me excited because I was like, this is setting up the angle, isn't it? For the WrestleMania 2 boxing match between Mr. T and Piper. Oh, great times. There's nothing to get excited about with that 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 uh, particular <laughs> program. But the in terms of the ad lib, of course, of course, it was ad lib. There'd been no question at the time of scripting anything. This no, nothing scripted on the show, and nothing would have been scripted for many years to come yet in WWE. Um, yeah, absolutely no question that this would have been ad libbed. Yeah, it's it's a bit messy, isn't it? It's it's quite funny in places, as you say. Paul Orndorff's tight uh, tight shorts. Uh-huh. Uh, and the bathwater thing was, uh, yeah, another one I've noticed here. Yeah, it's just a bit amateur hour. It's a bit kind of, I don't know, it's just a bit messy. And uh, it doesn't last very long, though. They're skipping through the show very much like we discussed when we discussed the previous Saturday night's main event we watched. They are over over one place, have a match, quick promo, Piper's Pit segment, next thing, next thing, next thing. Very, very quick, jumping back and forth between the various bits of the show. Next, we get Gene Oakland interviewing Hulk Hogan says that his match with Bob Orton is a special one for his mother. I'll let you uh, fill in the gap in a minute. With Mother Day, Mother's Day coming up. Any thoughts on this? Old oh, man, let's go with you this time. This is obviously reasonably like early Hogan in terms of like what I've seen of him talking. And I don't know how long he talks for. I reckon it's probably 45 seconds to a minute. I genuinely I had no idea what he was on about. He shoehorns the Mother's Day thing in. I think, that, to be honest, like as much as I joked about the uh, uh, Cindy Lauper's Mother's Day surprise, this was where it started to work me. I was a bit like, why are they talking about Mother's Day so much? Like, why, why are they talking about Mother's Day so much? I got a theory behind that. Oh, yeah. Remember Mr. T's uncomfortably long Hall of Fame speech where he's banging on about his mum all the time? Yes. It may be Mr. T was the driving force behind this. <laughs> or or he ended up with some kind of like brain injury and he's just living in this day for the rest of his life. I think the truth is probably more than that. That it's it's NBC. It's it's like being on like national it is nationally televised programming uh, prime time on a Saturday evening. You're gonna be with the family, everyone's together. That's that's all it is. It's just a an attempt to make it as mainstream and as actually arguably as unwrestling as it possibly can be i think that is the that is the idea and so i think that's why they do it the beginning of this promo is phenomenal because it cuts to being gene and hulk hogan now hulk hogan looks absolutely horrified by something <laughs> he's staring off into like the middle of the distance looking absolutely disgusted it's something it's really weird i think it's because we find out in this promo that hulk hogan's actually inbred because he says i'm gonna dedicate this match to my mother brother and you're like oh, okay so yeah that's why he's looking so disgusted his dad's just whispering his ear gone your brother's just your mum in a wig or not in a wig and he's like oh I i'm actually, glad you brought that up because i was i have specifically noted mother brother which i thought was very very funny i actually forgot my favorite bit of it which is the end when hogan poses in front of gene and you just see like gene's head move but like the shot's too small so he can't like get round and ah. Go on, Hogan. Always putting himself over. <laughs> the fact that he's got to do a pose after a promo is so amazing. It's like Buff Bagwell getting really annoyed and then flexing. 
So that's that leads us into match two, which is Hulk Hogan against Bob Orton Jr. for the WWF title. Orton is accompanied by Roddy Piper, while Hogan has Mr. T in his corner. This one ends in a DQ after seven minutes when, after Hogan hits his leg drop, Piper punches Hogan from the outside during the resulting pinfall attempt. Old man, thoughts on the match? I don't know why this tickled me, but there's a bit at the start where Hogan and Mr. T take turns ripping each other's T-shirts off. Which is fine. Like doing is the way that Vince McMahon goes. Oh yeah, he's, he's really, really enjoying it. Uh, Orton bumps like Billy Kidman in 2000 at Slambury, which we covered the other week. Like he's all over the place for old uh, for old Terry. He's enjoying it. To be honest, I don't really, I don't really think much of it. Like it's a little mess. Hogan does. Um, he works very aggressively in the early stages, and Jesse Ventura even addresses it. Which, to your point, Tinky, about this being on NBC, which really surprised me because I was a bit like, bloody hell, they're giving him some bloody stuff. He smashes, uh, oddly, he smashes uh, Bob Orton's protected arm into the ring post, which I thought was a bit odd because he's got another arm that's not broken. So work on that one, lad. But yeah, it was fine. I enjoyed the pathetic hot rod sign in the background in the crowd, which looks like it's been written on a piece of A5 paper. (laughs) <laughs> and if I if I'm being honest, after the shirt ripping, Vince going, oh yeah, and Orton bumping around, it's probably my highlight of the match. So there's a couple of things I've got noted then. So I like the fact that Hulk appears to be having some issues walking down the aisle because it's really narrow. And yeah. at one point, someone pulls it back, and I think he tells someone to fuck off, <laughs> which, which made me chuckle. Um, something that was was notable about this, I found the crowd were more into the tag match than this. They didn't seem to be as into it as, as they were. Um, they, they do their bit. Hulk Hogan sells two atomic drops like he's been stabbed at one point <laughs> in it, which is tremendous. And he also hits an elbow drop off the middle rope, which I don't ever recall Hogan doing before. He was the first to do that, and Bret Hart stole it from him, didn't he? Uh, okay, yeah. But, but to be fair, when Bret did it, he never hurt a fellow professional. So. Um, <laughs> It, it wasn't a great match, but it, it's, I wasn't expecting it to be. I didn't want it to be. Okay, well, not say I didn't want it to be, but I, I wasn't going to allow myself to be disappointed if the match was a bit cack, which which it is. It ends in the Shamars, which you know obviously is just further solidifying Mister Wonderful as a as a as a babyface. And um, yeah, that's that's about it, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's not a good match. It's also not even passable. It's really not good. It's really not good. It's really messy. It's it's a sort of Hogan match condensed, but with a messy finish as well. So it's just all it's just all like very kind of slapdash. I mean that that is kind of my feeling of the show. Really, is quite slapdash. And again, very very babyface centric. Already we've seen the babyfaces in the six man tag absolutely dominate. We've seen Hogan pretty much dominate most of this match. There's a brief period in the middle where Hogan has a kind of uh, Orton has a bit of uh, offense, but other than that, it's all Hogan. And we've seen a babyface turn in George Steele in the opening match, and here we've got Paul Orndorff reaffirming his babyface status. He's so babyface centric so far, um, and I think that continues as we go on. So next up, we get uh, an interview with the fabulous Moolah by Gene Oakland. 
Mueller says that to prevent Cindy Lauper from getting involved in the match, as she has in the past, she has convinced the WWF to ban her from ringside for their match to come for the women's title. Uh, we then get another interview by Gene Oakland, this time with Cindy Lauper with, uh, and Wendy Richter. Cindy says there is no way that Fabulous Mueller is going to ban her from ringside. She is Richter's manager and she stands by her girl. Can I also add that uh, Gene interviews Lola Richter and the dude from The Big Lebowski? <laughs> he's just yeah, who is that? There and it's not and it's not acknowledged once the no. thing. I think he's judges. I think he's um Wendy Richter's agent or manager or something. He's, he's there a lot during this period. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, not, the, not Wendy, just Cindy Lauper. Sorry. Cindy Lauper. I, I like um the interview with Jean Fabrice Mullen because she keeps on telling him to shut up and he keeps yeah. trying. He keeps trying to ask questions and she doesn't give him an inch. I enjoyed that also about Moolah. And uh, she says, I'm sick of, like, Cindy Lauper doing blah, blah, and then listen to this stuff. And then she says, I'm putting bags on my head. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> and then Lauper refers to WrestleMania as wrestling mania, which oh, is absolutely touch. amazing. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that bit too. Um, it's David Wolf is the uh, guy with um, Cindy Lauper and Wendy Richter. Uh, I haven't had enough time, however, in the period between talking about it to figure out exactly who he was, but that's his name anyway. Go on, Wolf's there. So this leads us to the next match. Let's before we get there, though, let's just take a very quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right, I thank you very much, Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan. You have just seen what has happened in Rowdy Roddy Piper's pit. You know, some mean Gene, I saw what went down in Piper's pit, brother. This is just typical of the kind of dudes we need to get out of the WWF, you know. I'm just so happy, man. It's Mother's Day coming up real soon because I got a special surprise. This is going to be a special match for my mother, brother, and I can't think of anybody else I'd rather get in the ring than Cowboy Bob Orton, the dude with a busted up arm. We're going to see how bad it is tonight, mean Gene. All right, on the subject of Paul Orndorff, I'm very curious to get your reaction to his big change over the past few weeks. Well, you know what's so funny, man? The dude was going around for so long busting people up, man, and all of a sudden, he felt what it was like inside to have some people behind him, man. All these Hulkamaniacs out here, brother, they got behind the dude. I see a total change of heart in the man. I wish him the best, and I just hope he keeps it up. Can you dig it? I can dig it. Cowboy Bob Orton, a cast on the arm, a title defense for you. I don't know what you're going to do. Well, what's he going to do when the holster runs wild on you, Daddy? I thank you very much, heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan. Now let's go up to ringside for the introduction. So welcome back. So we've got two more matches to go. We are flying through this show, as I thought we probably would, because it's only it's less than an hour long, this one. Um, in terms of watching it. So it's Wendy Richter against the Fabulous Muna for the WWF Women's title. And here Richter successfully defends the belt when Muller goes for a slam, but Richter counters into a small package at the four minute mark. Who wants to go first? I, I've got some points. Okay. Well, I say points. A couple of points, which is a plural. So points stands which are probably more interesting than my actual points. Uh, <laughs> Fucking tell us your points, mate. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, so, Moolah is 62 at this point. Wow. 62. And she is the only other female wrestler they have. Well, I will. I was going to make a point on this because she's actually a sub for Mad Maxine. So, originally, 
someone called Mad Maxine. I don't know who Mad Maxine is, but somebody called Mad Maxine was supposed to be facing Wendy Richter in this match. That's interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking to myself, I was like, this is very reminiscent of like mid to late 90s WWE, where they had pretty much one person who could, one lady who could wrestle in China, not the country, the person. This match is ugly. I thought ugly is a bowling shoe, but I actually don't mind a bowling shoe. It's just a free. It's uglier than a subway shit, if we can bring back that comparison again. Um, the highlight of my match, of my match, of their match, I didn't have a match, is the fact that uh, the, the Fink reads out the stuff that Moolah gives Bannon, uh, Cindy Lauper from ringside. He unfurls it and it's on a scroll for some reason, which I didn't really understand. But I was like, you know what? I'll have that. And then Lauper watches it on a monitor, probably about, I don't know, 30 feet from ringside. And she is absolutely living. She's living every moment, which mm. is more than I did, to be honest. <laughs> she she watches it on the monitor like a normal person does. <laughs> <laughs> she sits in front of the monitor and watches yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the like I I haven't written many notes back because as you said, Tink, it's only four minutes four minutes long and it's and it's not very good. But Fairfax the Moolah, I mean Jesus Christ, is sixty two years old. Do you know what I mean I can't even move like that now? So I can't imagine taking a body slam or bumping at all <laughs> for anyone. So sixty fair play to her, the horrible old bitch. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that that that's all I've got really. If I'm being honest, that's all I've got. Well, it's you know we talked about recently the women at the beginning of the 2000s who were not treated at all well in terms of the presentation and the way that they were spoken about and actually that they were really talented and that in truth had they been given a bit more serious presentation had they'd been given a little bit more uh focus by the creative team they could have been uh, a draw for the wwe at the time that they were around in a way that they kind of are now more so back here in 1985 as i said before this is one of the four main pillars of WWE's brand ultimately is this women's division Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper's crossover was massive for the WWF it was a major part of Wrestlemania 1 it was a major part of the reason they got this Saturday night's main event uh, show in the first place because what had happened is that NBC had seen the success of the war to settle the score and brawl to end them all uh, the WWF specials on MTV the previous year and the big ratings that they had done and were now kind of eager to get some of the same magic that WWF was capable of and so this was a hugely important part of the WWF's kind of promotion but it's terrible. It's absolutely god-awful. And it's not very good at WrestleMania 1, the match that um, Wendy Richter has with Lani Kai. It gets even worse later this year because Richter is basically screwed over. The original screw job, the uh, similar to the Montreal screw job, when the fabulous Moolah beats Wendy Richter for, for real, effectively, with Rick Richter not knowing it was going to happen. And Moolah then goes on at WrestleMania 2 to face Velvet McIntyre in a match that's even worse than this, I think. So... Yeah, this was really kind of massive, but just awful, like in terms of the quality. There's just nothing here. I mean, that's got to be partially to do with the fact that, as you say, Mueller is 62 and can only be um, can only manage so much in fairness to her. But yeah, not 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 very um, not very good match at all. Um, I was just looking at these these MTV things. So I'm on the 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 brawl to end it all, which is a weird thing for their first 
show. Um, um, there's 11 matches on the card, 10 dark matches. Yeah, that would have been... It's just an MTV television special. So the, the Saturday night's main event that we are watching actually had a full card of action. It's just that all we see is the last four matches on the show for Saturday yeah. night's main event. This is weird, well, isn't it? How much time was it given then, I wonder? This is exactly right. the same as the other MTV one. I'd be very interested to watch that show, how it was presented on MTV. They were briefly, I don't know if they put them back up, they were briefly, like literally days, that they were on the network and they got they took them back down. And I don't know if that was, I don't know what that was for, but I'm not sure they ever returned. It was a really odd thing. They did put them up briefly on the network, but they, they, they disappeared pretty quickly as well. And one note on Wendy Richter. Whenever I see Wendy Richter, I always think of Roddy Piper inducting her into the Hall of Fame when he was clearly a little bit half cut at one of the ceremonies we went to. And he, uh, he he's, a, he's a little bit of a pervert from memory. He kind of talks about how, how beautiful she is, but in kind of a lechy way. In the way that like a weird uncle would talk about a girlfriend that you've come in with. So I, I just wanted to just wanted to call Roddy Piper that because I think it's what he deserves. Well, I, don't, I don't remember that. We were all there. WrestleMania, that would have been WrestleMania 26. Yeah. Uh, the whole, and I don't don't remember. I remember so little about that ceremony. Like, it was long, dull. There weren't really that yeah. many big stars there at all. It was quite a, quite a poor one, I think. Yeah, because um, yeah, it, was, it, it was headlined by Ted, wasn't it? It was, yeah, Ted DiBiase. Ed, Edward DiBiase, yeah. <laughs> I remember him being drunk. Um, but that, that was it, really. Mm. You'd have to be, wouldn't you? You'd have to be pissed to be backstage for one of those things. So next up, Dean Oakland interviews a junkyard dog who has his mother with him, Bertha. He says his mother's never been to New York before, so this was a nice trip for her. Uh, and she says she hopes JYD wins the match and then comes home soon, I guess, from touring along with the WWE. Yeah. But she's with him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not all the time. I think this is a special trip for her and she's hoping they'll come home. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I, can, can we just have a note on JYD? He can. is one of the worst promos I think I've ever seen. You know, so he's just like one of those people that's been held against their will, and they've been, yeah, yes, we 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 we're being treated okay. Yes, yes, I'm very happy. My family, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. He's like that. He just mumbles through it, and then his mum starts gabbing. And she's probably got even less charisma than him. And it was like, fuck me, poor old Gene. What's he working with? It's really, it's really funny, isn't it? Because I guess we could probably cross over this through the match. I've never watched any Mid South stuff where he was a huge deal in yeah. Mid South. And I've got, I've got no doubt that he was. And I'm fair, fair play to. Him. I, but I just don't get it now. Whether or not it's a much watered down version of what he did in WWF compared to what he did in Mid South, but. Oh, he's rubbish. <laughs> he's, he is. And Tom is all in the presentation. It's all yeah. in the presentation. JYD is exactly the same as he is here in Mid-South. It's just that they present him as a star every single time he comes out in front of the crowd. He's one of the few people with entrance music. Comes down to another oh. one, another oh, one by the Dust yeah. by Queen. Um, he's just, he's just, and he wins. He always wins. And if he doesn't win, it's because of like four or five different people interfering to help the heel beat him. He's just that he was just super over because he came out. He had charisma in a kind of um, non-promo way. So he would come out and look charismatic in front of the crowd for the time. Again, you have to kind of temper your kind of um, what your expectations are. But for the time he'd come out, he would do a little bit of dancing uh, and it would be relatively kind of charismatic. 
and people just fed off of that as opposed to kind of these promos where he'd be put in front, front, front of a television screen and expect to talk people into the building. It wasn't really that wasn't his skill. It was more just he came out, they presented him really well, they got sympathy on him, but he always came out and won the match in the end. I think I think that there's such a good point as well. I think about what the time, taking it into context as well. It was, I know we've, we've said about this a few times, but it was, it was a simpler time. You know, people watched it, took it at face value. There weren't fucking cunts like us t- dissecting it every week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? To try and like look into it. And it's a bit of a weird thing to say, but I, I wish I'd still had that. I wish I still had that kind of, that kind of open-eyed wonder at, at wrestling. And, and it's a side, you know, product, I suppose, of the kind of personality I have. And that all three of us have to some extent, and a lot of people have. They only get into something you want to get you really get into it and get into the, the behind the scenes mechanics of it and you could talk about like me and you think you will talk about like the way the west wing was written do you mm. know what i mean ad, ad nauseum which you know what i mean and it's one of those things that and it's obviously presented in a different way to, to know how pro wrestling is, is presented but it does make me think i wish i still had a bit of that luster a bit of that awe to it that i had when i was a kid when i was watching rather than sitting there and being like oh the book of roman reigns wrong again <laughs> it, it, and I watched this, and it made me it did make me feel a bit sad, but it made me feel a bit nostalgic for the old seven, eight year old Tom watching watching wrestling and and being blown away by it and loving it. Well, well, two things there. First of all, nobody's saying Roman Reigns is being booked wrong these days. Like he's been booked perfectly no. these days. He's absolutely perfectly booked. Um, but the second thing is that I don't think it's just that you've grown up that's the problem here i think it's that wwe and the wrestling business in general have given up trying to make people feel the way that you did when you were seven or eight years old like they much much more now fold in and build in the inner workings of the business to their own storylines like even the authority figure being a thing is part of that it's we didn't need those things when we were seven or eight to understand that here were matches and that there were two guys fighting each other now for some reason we need everything to be explained in terms of why administratively (laughs) these two wrestlers are facing one another other than the commentators just saying so this is a match between two ranking competitors simple as that like it doesn't need any more the the other things as well is um that what they can do is they can just throw anything out the wall and see if it sticks, regardless as to whether or not they've actually put any effort or any thought into it, because they know there are people like us that will always take a, make a passing interest in it, and that's mm. that's where they've kind of that's where they've gone as well because they they know they've got a core audience they don't need to try. Well, it's also that that core audience is locked in in a way that they never were in the past. So if you were one of I don't know um, part of the New York crowd back in seventies and eighties, they had to keep talking you back into the building to actually buy the ticket to go watch them like it wasn't like it was just the good stuff was on free tv you could watch it like their all-star wrestling or championship wrestling on free tv but it was all enhancement talent matches all squash matches so you had to be talked back into the building you had to be convinced that you should buy a ticket to go watch whoever was on top San Martino, Backlund, Superstar Billy Graham, whoever it was. You don't have that anymore because you have the network and you have Raw on free television. And like even when there were pay-per-views once a month, you started to make a conscious choice to purchase the pay-per-view. And if you weren't convinced on the people involved, if you're like coming up to, I don't know, Backlash 2007, you were like, I don't care about the match they've put in the main event. You wouldn't buy the pay-per-view. You'd be quite happy to skip it. Whereas now you don't need to skip it. You're locked in because you've got this subscription, whether it be to the network or now in America to Peacock. You've you've already kind of done it. So they don't need to on a 
show by show basis keep convincing you that you should watch so i think there's, there's a mix of things there I, but i don't think it's just because you've grown up or because you've got an analytical mind about these things i think it's genuinely because the the source material itself doesn't do its best to make you feel wonder and an awe and excitement at what's going on because they're too busy trying to plug into the real life non-kayfabe stuff which i think actually in fairness they've kind of tried to get away from the last couple of years in particular but even now they still do it and it's and it's rife everywhere in wrestling it's not just the wwe everybody's doing this stuff mm. anyway pete docky versus junkyard dog yes pete yes. docky versus junkyard dog which is the final match of the night and it only goes for three minutes jd J, jyd wins with a power slam uh, oh man any thoughts on the match it is a little squash Oh, Pete Doherty sells his little heart out and I had a, had a nice time. But then he let me down. He let me down, Pete, in that he reels back as if he's going to hit mum, your dog, which I thought was very, it's very cheap. It was very unnecessary. So I know, like, because I'm guessing they haven't played up to the live crowd, but this is going to go out the day before Mother's Day. They might have, but yeah, I thought it was very, very unnecessary. Then they... Yeah, kind of finishes. And then Mum Yard Dog and Junk Yard Dog have a little dance, which I enjoyed because that was obviously JYD's thing. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like JYD's having a very good time <laughs> because they, they've they pumped some music over for his entrance and when he wins. So you can't hear Fink make the announcement, but I could just see his hand like waving and he's pointing at JYD. But JYD looks incredibly annoyed. I'm not quite sure why he looked so annoyed, but he did. And I, I just don't, I hope he found peace within himself before he passed away. So there's a couple of notes I've got from it, right? So for the start, Junk Yard Dog's tights are horrible because you can see everything. <laughs> you can literally see his bell end. It's horrible. It's really horrible. Pete Doherty, I'm not going to call him Doherty because that's fucking Americans. There's a bit where he's outside the ring and Junk Yard Dog's pulling his hair and he is screaming. <laughs> and goes on for ages. It's like a... <laughs> I was hoping old man would do that. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking more like the steam screen old, old man. <laughs> yeah, it was more like that. And there's a bit as well, and you can tell this is pre. The standards have been raised to the referees at this bit because the referee placed for the pin is by Pete Doherty's ass. <laughs> He's counting by his ass to see if his ass leaves the mat rather than his shoulders. <laughs> You can tell the standards of Earl Hebner and a young Mike Kyoda haven't come in yet and, and lifted everything, can't you? And then, yeah, in terms of dancing, I've written Junk Yard Dog dances for a little bit before seemingly thinking better of it. <laughs> he has a little dance and he's like, it's, and it's literally like, about like, da, 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 da. <laughs> Lovely, lovely visual there again, Tom, for the for the <laughs> listeners. That's why I did the little sing-along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's it's not surprising it's only went three three minutes because pete doherty is usually in his full-time job as the lead singer of the libertine so you know you can't you can't expect him to uh to last that long with a seasoned professional like jyd yeah it's a bit of nothing it's basically a squash pete doherty i don't think it's ever been anything but a enhancement talent even though he did have a ring name the duke of dorchester which is uh yeah an interesting one <laughs> But yeah, this is this is basically just a squash and uh, is the final match on our show. But that is not the end of the show. There is still oh. one main segment to come, which is Cindy Lauper's Mother's Day Party. 
-hmm. It takes place backstage, includes Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov. Uh, We've got Hulk Hogan there. We've got Hulk Hogan's mum there. We've got Cindy Lauper, Wendy Richter. We have got uh, that might be it. You you got you got Freddie Blassie and his mum. Oh yeah, <laughs> Freddie Blassie and his mother Laura. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I there's not a lot to say in terms of what I can actually tell you. The oh. result, the upshot though of all of this is that an argument breaks out between the fabulous Mueller and Cindy Lauper. Uh, it briefly turns physical and it results in Gene Oakland going into the cake that's been put out for the party. Ah. Oh. I was so excited when this segment started. I, I sat there and my wife was just walking through the living room and I was like, love, you're going to have to sit down for this. They, all the heels are doing their promos. Yeah, the, the first bit of pure comedy gold is when Freddie Blassie introduces his mother, Laura, and she's like 30 years younger than him. <laughs> At <laughs> least. Probably then, 50 years younger. Yeah. You then you cut through all these other things. Hulk Hogan does an interview next to his mum, which is, which is phenomenal. They then carry on. Walking down the line, chatting to people. Me and Gene Oakland, ever the professional, just doing an absolute great job. And then he goes down to interview interview uh, Wendy Richter and uh, Cindy Lauper. And then in comes the fabulous Mueller, dressed like Rick James. <laughs> and she, uh, she comes in, gets into a bit of a scrap. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing the camera angle from behind the cake. And you're yeah. like, hello, I know, I know what's happening there. I know exactly what's happening there. Cindy Lauper ends up hitting Mueller into the cake, who then drags Mean Gene Oakland into the cake as yeah. well. It's tremendous. I sat through this segment with the biggest grin on my face, and I was like, this is why I love wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I, my favourite bit of this whole thing is at the end, so Mueller goes to get up and then fucking stacks it. <laughs> Absolutely stacks it. Must slip on some cake, and you just hear Gene go, Mueller! Like, as if he's, like, going, like, oh, God, are you all right? I want to know if it is uh, Hulk Hogan's real mum, Ruth Hogan. Ruth Hogan, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know if it is. I haven't looked it up. Uh, the Iron Sheik's there and calls Mean Gene, Gene Mean, which, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, like Tommy said, this is just, it's so shit, but it's great as well. It's just a nice little bit of fluff, and it does... Uh, it's a much better end to the show than having JYD look pissed off in the ring dancing with his mum, which I, I felt bad for his mum, really. Tom's Rick James shout is a great shout. I had Moolah down as dressed as Sylvester Stallone in Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> so she she's covering all she's covering something for everyone. <laughs> Sorry, I just want to I need to quickly go on. We were talking about Pete Doherty earlier. Yeah. He said he never really did much. He is in the New England Wrestling Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Wow. wow. Uh, who could argue with that? Inducted in 2010. So, do you want to hear some of the names of, that are in this? There's a lot of people I've never heard of. Yes. But in the New England Hall of Fame, we've got John Cena Sr. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, it, uh, as, the, uh, as the manager of the year award. Tim White... Oh, chippy Tim White. Yeah, the the public enemy are in there. Uh, Pete da- uh, Pete Davis. Fuck me. Danny, Danny Davis. Steve Davis. Steve yeah, Entry. Jimmy White. <laughs> um, Larry Zabisco. Jimmy Snucker. And there, there's so many people you've never heard of in there. And so so you get a bit further. You're like, yeah, you're right. Tito Santana's in there. Rick Martel's in there. Mr. Fuji. And then I just think they just start like getting mid-carders in there that they know they can get. Someone called Knuckles Nelson. Sorry, just call back to the week. Ron Zombie. 
is in oh. there. <laughs> um, I, I'm quite disappointed that you read that list out, Tom, because that was going to be my game for this week. So uh, you've really you've ruined it, just like I did last week for Old Man. Yeah. You've ruined is the that game. true? No, of course it's not. Oh, <laughs> I study we wouldn't have got any of them from the New England Hall. <laughs> hey, John Cena, John Cena Senior is an absolute legend and deserves his place in our Hall of Fame. Two-time inductee, mate. Two-time yeah. inductee. <laughs> Has he got a Hall of Fame induction for every time he's appeared on WWE television? Effectively. Get back to the Mother's Day pie. What's your view on this kind of stuff, Tinky? Because I can't imagine you being a big Mother's Day party segment kind of guy. <laughs> I was, I was laughing during it. Because it's so fucking shit. It is so, so bad. Tom has just found out that his mother is his brother by the look on his face. <laughs> oh, look, do you know who was inducted into the um, into, into the New England Hall of Fame in 2020? Look, yeah. Mike McGurk. She was introduced into the New England Hall of Fame. <laughs> lovely stuff lovely stuff that is a massive callback to a long long time ago um yeah so it is really rubbish uh and i was laughing at it because it was so rubbish the actual comedy of the gene oakland going into the cake isn't funny at all like it's just not funny but i did find freddie blassie and his mother very very funny i did find that bit very funny (laughs) jeff katz is also in the new england hall of fame (laughs) oh Fucking hell. The New England Hall of Fame could go to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, boys, we need to do a fucking episode just on this. This is some absolute incredible shit. Sorry, Tinker. You made a really good point then, but I just, I had to bring that up because some dickhead is in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got through the entire show. There's a little bit of uh, sign off from Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura. They summarize the show, but they don't really say anything of any value. And they go to break as if there's more to come. And when they do come back, they just say, all right, goodbye then. <laughs> Much in a similar way that they did on Saturday Night's Main Event we covered before. But this was even more kind of, yeah. I don't know, like just nothing. So overall thoughts on this episode of Saturday Night's Main um, Event. There are also end credits as well, which again, we, you see, I know because of the way it's presented, you know, as it's an NBC co-production. But again, just a nice touch. Big Dick Ebersole and, uh, and Vince Mann, executive producers, good stuff. Um, overall... It was short, fast-paced, and served its purpose entirely. I wasn't bored at all, but it is largely crap as well. But I did enjoy it, because the bits that were really bad were actually quite funny. So I'm going to give this a five, because because I didn't understand how you could possibly give it anything higher than that. Because it's just daft, it's fun, it's cheesy. A match of the night, probably the tag match, which hurts, because Ricky Steamboat's in it. But I am... Uh, I don't fuck, mate. Iron Mac. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Iron Mac. That uh, was a cross between IRS and Mike Rotunda, I think. But Mike Rotunda's <laughs> in it. So Mike Rotunda then kind of elevates any match that he's in. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm giving it that much. And an angle came out of it as well. There was a purpose to the match, which was to turn George Steel Babyface in their words. So there we go. That's the match I'm going for. I'll be honest, I didn't think this was very good at all. I think it's quite a crap hour of television, to be honest. I um, When I was watching it, I, I got to the end, and as you just said, Tinky, they cut, cut to McMahon and Ventura, and I was kind of like finishing my little summary of it. I was like, right, I'll, I'll get this done now, because I want it to be fresh in my mind. And I was like, am I being a bit harsh on this, actually? And then when I heard Jesse and Vince talk about it, they've got nothing to say <laughs> on it. And I was like, you know what? I'm not. I'm not being harsh. 
it's just not very good. But to Tom's point as well, it's an hour. So it doesn't go long enough to outstay its welcome. So it's kind of, yeah, I, I've given it a four out of ten. And I have also gone for the tag match because, I, to be honest, I think the tag match is the only legitimate match that's actually on the show. But a special mention to Paul Orndorff's shorts, <laughs> which, in all honesty, are probably the MVP of the show. And they should definitely go into the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. <laughs> to be honest, given the calibre of inducted so far, first ballot Hall of Famer they are, no problem. Um, Sorry, I just look at that they are in the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. <laughs> so, my rating is a 1 out of 10. I thought this was Ooh. absolutely terrible. Not just terrible because it was terrible, because it was terrible. It wasn't even really <laughs> bad enough to most of the time make me enjoy it. In fact, this is only 57 minutes long. For the middle 20 minutes, I was bored. I was actually bored. I was like, oh, this is such a, like, it's so hard to watch. And the matches are all really bad. The opener is the best match. Six-man tag match is the best match. But that doesn't say anything. It's just really odd. All baby faces do everything in the match and there's nothing from the heels. It does at least have a have an angle, as you say. Everything else is terrible. The women's match is one of the worst wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life. Um, the the Junkyard Dog match is a, is a squash and lasts three minutes. And Hogan and Orton, this is probably the worst Hogan match I've ever seen. And I, I've seen quite a few of them. And it's, it's just really bad. It's just the whole thing's really bad. There's nothing of value on it at all. Nothing like nothing worthwhile. The, uh, there is, I guess there is the, the, the George Steele babyface turn. So I guess that's something that came out of it at the very least. But yeah, it's just really, really, really bad. Not good at all. And I was like searching around going, what was my rating for sold out 1997? And I gave that a one. And I thought, I can't give it any. It's not better. (laughs) It's just not better than that. So, um, yeah, I gave it a one out of ten. Didn't really enjoy it. I got to be honest, even though it was only an hour. Just to give you some context as well, Tom, you gave this a five out of ten. You gave Fastlane 2017 a one out of ten and sold out 97 a three. and living dangerously a four. <laughs> Give I, stand, this a I stand by that. I will watch the show before I watch those. <laughs> so quickly, before we go into the game, I want to read out to you the class of 2009. The, of, the New England Hall of Fame. Yes. And I want to tell you, with the exception of one, which is Killer Kowalski, which yeah. I think we can all agree is, is, is a name worthy of being in any Hall of Fame. I want you to tell me if you've heard of any of these people. Okay. It's quite a big list. So Reverend Chain Brannigan. Nope. Robbie Ellis. Robbie Ellis. Yeah. Yes, I've heard of him. Okay. Okay. He's he's, uh, he's wrestled for Chikara. That's why I've heard of him. Oh, uh, okay. Sandy Starr. Oh. No. Cody Boynes. <laughs> no. Sunny D. Oh, yeah. that's, that's 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 a drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, Travis Funk. <laughs> oh. Anthony Rufo. No. Jerry Gold. Gary oh, Gold. Gold. <laughs> this sounds like this sounds like the list of names that Mrs. Doyle reads out when she's trying yes. to guess the priest's <laughs> name. It's like, oh. Gary Gold, Sandy Steele. <laughs> this to me is the Pro Evo version yes. of football players. Um, Bert Centino, Shane Simons, Tommy Degnan, Scott Ashworth, Brickhouse Baker, Jeff Costa. Rich Palladino, Josie Perez, Josie Perez, uh, Terry Allen, Bill Hardy, Harvey, Hardy, Danny Kammer, Derek Molan, Gary Apollo, 
Mark Amaral, Rip Martin, Chief Dave Fox, and Tony Rumble. I've heard of Tony Rumble, but everybody else I've not heard of. I think I've only heard about because I would have read his name in PWI magazine on the independence like multiple times. But that's so, it. So apparently he was a commentator for ECW, Hardcore TV, Tony Rumble. And uh, he also appeared at WCW's World War Three pay-per-view in 1996 as an entrant in the 60-man Battle Royal, which he was not successful in winning. Well, everyone, everyone was in that match. I was in that match. They, they, yeah. they were basically scraping the barrel. Now, I mean, I think, look, I think probably the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame at one point would have been relatively, I don't know when it started, but would have been relatively prestigious because back in the 70s and 80s, of course, WWF regularly visited the Boston Garden for massive shows for their kind of on their kind of house show loop. And it was one of their big money making events. So there probably was a time when it was quite a hotbed of pro wrestling. But of course, since WWF have gone international, that isn't really the case anymore. For the listener, a little peek behind the curtain. So in the time that Tom was uh, reading through that list of names, I managed to get up, go and have a piss, wash my hands and come back, which was satisfying. So I was having a little listen while I was doing that. Can you imagine how long that ceremony must have gone on for? <laughs> if, they're, if they're all doing five minutes. Like fucking hell! Okay. I like the I, I like the idea that there was a ceremony, old man. I'm not convinced <laughs> there was a ceremony. I think someone just published a list of names and said, "Here they are, this Hall of Fame inductees for this year." No, that's not true. The the induction ceremonies are featured at three super cards over the course of the year. Uh, so uh, de- de- fact, define define super card, Tom, for me. Um, no, <laughs> I can't. Um, but starting in two, that, so that was in 2008, starting in 2009, induction ceremonies were taking place at the annual banquet dinner at the Brotherhood of the Holy Ghost Charity Hall in East Providence, Rhode Island, which I imagine is probably about the same size as the Red Cat Community Centre. <laughs> Not very Bristol specific and very much so very Knoll specific. I've got a sneaky feeling that Adam Bomb might be in the uh, New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. I don't think he is, mate. He should be. Okay. I'm going to get us away from the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame, because let's be honest, this is the most publicity they've ever had for that particular Hall of Fame. And we will step into the game. Uh, Well, before we do that, though, um, just quickly ahead of the game, please give us a review and a rating on your podcasting application of choice. It serves the dual purpose of letting us know what you think of the show and helps us reach as many people as possible. So the game today is episode 18 of this podcast. I've been keeping a little list of all the matches that we've watched as part of the show. We have covered so far 135 matches, including today's show, and it features 243 different wrestlers. That's that that number is largely due to the fact that we've watched about four Royal Rumbles as part of this Mm -hmm. show so far. There are, however, only 14 of them, 14 wrestlers that are featured in four or more matches on the show. And I'm asking you both to take it in turns to name those 14. So let's start with Old Man. Fucking hell. This is, this is excellent. Well done, Tinky. Uh, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels has appeared in four matches. Uh, Mike Rotundo. Mike Rotundo oh, has appeared in six matches on this is podcast. Is he the highest? Of course he is. He is not the highest. Uh, the steamer himself. Ricky Steamboat. No. Oh, mate. Three, um, isn't it? Three. Three matches. Yeah. Three matches for Ricky oh, Steamboat. What a fucking pathetic man. 
Well, let's obviously Tom's one, but let's just keep going for a bit and see yeah. where how yeah. far we can go. So next, I had Chris Jericho. Jericho has had five matches featured on the podcast. Uh, Roman Reigns. Five matches. Really? Podcast. Yeah. Um, I think that we have had Jeff Jarrett. The best. Only three. Only three for old Jeff Jarrett. Perception Uh, is a strange one. As as we all know, judging by (laughs) Jeff Jarrett's supposed Hall of Fame career. There you go. Yeah, I do notice that he's not in the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. (laughs) Um, this is pathetic. Um, they must come on, old man. We got to do more than this. Uh, four of the fourteen. How about Ric Flair? Hulk Hogan. Uh, Let me just, first of all, Ric Flair's had three matches. Hulk Hogan has had eight matches featured on the pod so far. Sorry, he's the number one. Sorry, I I can't understand what Tom said. Could you repeat that, please? Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Perfect or Kurt Hennig. I don't think so, to be honest. Only only two matches for old uh, Perfect. Uh, Big Bubba Bossman. Indeed. Five matches for Bossman. Uh, I'll give I'll give you some some clues. You got five more that have had four matches and two that have had six. Six. Lex Luger. I think you're uh, thinking in the wrong places at the moment. Only three for Luger. Fucking Luger shit house. <laughs> uh, I am gonna go for. Uh, I'm trying to think who I've, who I've absolutely shat on. But, <laughs> um, do you know what? I don't know. I don't know, mate. Okay, let's give you I'm, them. My misery. So the four, the, the the five wrestlers with four matches that you haven't got yet are The Miz, Triple H, Billy Gunn, The Bum, Billy Gunn, yeah, Daniel Bryan and Kane. Of course, Daniel Bryan's had two matches in the same show. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Kane, Kane, all Kane in every subject. Kane yeah. in every su- subject, absolutely. Cesaro has had five matches. Wow. Yeah. With Superman. Don't forget that we covered Royal Rumble 2021, which he was in, and Fastlane, and various mm-hmm. others. I can't even remember off the top of my head now. And the two others that have six matches, The Undertaker oh, yeah. and The Big Show. Wow. It's The Big Show. Indeed it is. So, yeah, Hulk Hogan, we've now watched eight matches. He's, he's out, way out ahead in terms and of... And he's going to be, let's be honest, for a while, I think. Probably. There's, there's, it, is, it is the case that he is in a lot of different shows from a lot of different periods. So um, yeah. we probably will see a lot more of him still to come. Bloody heck. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm slightly ashamed of myself. Yeah, that was I, not the best performance. No, I, I feel like I feel like I've let you boys down. Oh, course. Have you got a list of everyone in there, Tinky? Yeah, every How single one. How many matches with Brett Hart have we watched? Let's just have a quick look. Not, not that many. Not uh, enough. Not enough. Two so far, Brent. Yeah, yeah. All, like, we're exploring that. <laughs> we will see. We will see, won't we? Right. So that brings us to the end of the show. A very quick, sharp Saturday night's main event, the first ever Saturday night's main event today. Um, old man, thanks for joining me this day. Oh, you're, you're you're more than welcome, Tinky. It's been a it's been far more enjoyable talking about it than it was watching it. But we ain't got time for that, have we? Because it might be Mother's Day somewhere tomorrow. So little Keith needs to sort himself out. I need to go and have a nice little cuddle with me, Teddy. But before that, just remember, Kenneth Patera. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why it gets me every time, but it does. Fix it's hilarious. <laughs> Thomas, thank you also for being on the show today. I was, it was my pleasure. I hope uh, you enjoy this day. 
as you so strangely put it just then thinking <laughs> <laughs> honesty um oh um w- one note i do have so the date that this is going out you can screw yourself mother's day it's not mother's day but it is the godfather charles wright's birthday ah oh, yes so yeah it's fa- so, so it's father's day oh that's excellent that's um, excellent also something i, I meant, should have mentioned uh, obviously it's my birthday recently I share a birthday with Keen, which is nice. Do you? Yeah. Through Hellfire and Brimstone. Hellfire and Bristol. Yeah, it, it's Tom. That's got to be. It's got to be Tom. <laughs> it doesn't quite have the same ring, does it? No. <laughs> Certainly does not. Um, but hopefully we can get some of that ring back when we uh, return for our next show next week. Until then, take care.